From the banks of Dewey Lake, it's the Dewey Pod Monster. Alright, welcome back. My name is John and this is the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. Uh, with me this week, as always, is the host of the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. His name is Sean. He's the authority on Michigan craft beer, and I totally skipped over what this damn show is about. How are you doing today, Sean? This is a podcast about consumption, your weekly podcast about consumption, as a matter of fact. It is. So thank you for enlightening me. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? Not too much. Not too much. We uh, we got together just a couple days ago and uh, talked about some stuff, but uh, you want to get into what we've been watching? Yeah, let's cut into that. I'm kind of this uh, topic will might go a little longer than usual. It sounds like so. Let's uh, hit just some stuff that we caught up on. Do you want me to kick us off? Yeah, why not? All right. So I went into a couple different rabbit holes this week uh, since the last time that we recorded. I started with a Leanna Quigley rabbit hole, which was always a good thing. So. Basically, I had an evening where I had a few sodas and started watching Leanna Quigley's Horror Workout, which in turn led to watching Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bullorama, which is about as classic as it sounds. And then it, um, after that, it led right into another classic of uh, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, which is, if you haven't seen that, it's really entertaining to watch Gunnar Hansen struggle to start a chainsaw. Any of these something that you've got any opinion on, or is this just kind of... I know a lot of the names, but I haven't seen... Like, I know this Slimeball, Bullarama, and I obviously know Leanna uh, Quigley. I know you just said the name, and I'm I'm so preoccupied right now with things that I'm getting lined up. But yeah, I mean, I obviously know her. I've seen that video, that workout video. There's a, there's a segment near the pool, right? Yeah. It's basically just zombies doing step aerobics yeah. in front of a pool. Um, the workout video is almost, it's one of those, it, you know, it's stupid because it's only like 40 minutes long and it's an aerobic video, but it still feels like it's 10 minutes too long because so much of it is just the camera zooming in on like spandex, like 1980 spandex ass yeah, and stuff like that. Um, and then there's these weird little like cut scenes between because there's it starts with her like just laying on the floor complaining about how filthy her carpet is and arguing with her quote agent. Then she goes to the pool and does some step aerobics and then like. Five other women show up and they're sitting around in barely anything doing aerobics and a slasher shows up and kills all of them for some reason. Is this part with the agent? Is that actually scripted or is it like ad-libbed or? You know, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and say that it's ad-libbed, but it's probably scripted. It's pretty, it's pretty dumb. Um, but under the right influence, it's a moderately entertaining little short video to watch. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, the Slimeball Bolorama is <clears throat> the sh- just, I, I'm trying to remember everything that happened. And basically the, the premise of this movie is that a little like um, imp gets broken out of a bowling trophy. And it's kind of the idea of the like you get 
you know, a wish and the imp will grant whatever the wish is that you want, but it has bad implications in it. Of course. And yeah, chaos ensues from there. Um, but the imp is kind of funny because it's, I don't remember what year it is, but it's definitely an eighties movie and it's very much so like somewhere between eighties claymation and eighties puppeting, uh, for what this character is, but he's, kind of got a voice the imp has a voice that's kind of somewhere between isaac hayes and isaac hayes is probably the closest i could really like call it it's just a little bit more crude than isaac hayes um so that's moderately entertaining and probably would be something that would be considered racist by today's standards um and then really of the three those three hollywood chainsaw hookers is the the you know, chef's kiss of that little run of movies because the name, it lives up to the title. It's essentially a movie about a private detective who is running around, uh, trying to get to the bottom of a cult of chainsaw worshipers. And they, the worshipers happen to be hookers. And that's, that's a very, very basic premise and this movie is bad enough that it might actually deserve its own episode. So I don't know if I want to break it down too much, <laughs> but it is basically that's that's what you get out of this movie. I mean, crumb, crummy movie March is coming up, so it's good. Candidate. This is probably slightly above where I think you're planning to go for crummy movie March. Oh, um, wow. Not not much. But like if you're talking Z, this is probably like, you know, C or D type level. Then after I got through that, that little rabbit hole i fell into a rap because we just got past you know the friday the 13th episode and that holiday well i fell into a rabbit hole of friday the 13th fan films which shockingly were all kind of a lot better than i thought they were going to be two of them were from uh the same director and i guess there's a third one coming out but uh the the first one's called never hike alone and the second one in that is like a little 30 minute short film called, called never hike in the snow and it's a little short story that's basically like one guy in relatively modern times, uh, I'm assuming like 20-teens-ish, essentially takes a GoPro and wanders into Crystal Lake and guess who's there? And it's basically Jason hunting this one guy, and it's only about an hour long. Obviously, like, the production quality leaves plenty to be desired. It's, you know, not, you're not getting, like, Kane Hodder-looking Jason, but for what it is, it's... Kind of a nice look at what you might be able to get if you let someone with a, a, a fresh idea on that franchise kind of do something a little bit different. And I, I can't say that, you know, in the hour that it was on that I wasn't entertained. The second part of that, you know, Never Hike in the Snow, it's it's kind of the same thing, just a half hour long. But Tom Matthews shows up. If not familiar with Tom Matthews, he's who reprised the role of Tommy Jarvis in part six. And for some reason, even though he's the third guy to play the character, who's usually he's usually the one that's most associated with him, maybe because he embraces the role as opposed to the other two guys. The other two that I watched, which were actually, if they could get Jason to look just a little bit better, these would almost be like interesting, kind of decent Friday the 13th movies. It's uh, Friday the 13th Vengeance and Friday the 13th Vengeance Part 2 Bloodline. So the title's way too fucking long <laughs> <laughs> but essentially what you get out of these two movies is you see jason's father 
and he's some kind of like voodoo cowboy or some shit like that. And he is brought Jason back again because that's what you do. And he's going around hunting down the Jarvis family again. And Tom Matthews shows up in the second one of these as well. I, I will give this these movies credit, though. They're both about an hour and a half long, which I was kind of impressed that they actually made an hour and a half movie out of these. They must have had a budget because what they spent on Caro Syrup alone is more than what the first movie spent on anything. There's a pretty huge body count in these. There's, I mean, kind of all the trademarks you look for in a Friday the 13th movie. They're all there. There's campy nudity, stupid kids, Jason killing everything in sight with everything in sight. So they're they're both all four of these are available on YouTube. They're all free. They're all actually kind of worth taking a look at. Have you fallen in that rabbit hole of fan films or is that something that you've managed to avoid? Yeah, I haven't watched a single fan film. I was going to ask you if the gore and everything. I mean, you mentioned the caro syrup. Is it on the same level as the regular straight up movies? Is it censored for YouTube or is there any kind of age warning there's, or something they're not censored surprisingly there's not an age warning hmm. but there's no like this movie these the second two is the first two don't have any nudity in them um but they have a little bit of gore here and there the second two are they're on the level of gore and nudity that you would expect from a, a standard friday the 13th movie as far as how much the gore is it's like a tear down put it this way just in the movies that we've watched for this show, I've seen worse effects in movies that I've been entertained by. So they're actually decent enough. They're not on the same level as what you would get out of like a modern Hollywood blockbuster by any stretch, but they're practical effects. So you could almost make the argument that I'd rather see this than what you're going to get out of a lot of the new stuff. There's a few others that are on there that I haven't wandered into yet, but I will say those second two, especially it's, and again, they're they're a far cry from a perfect movie. Like, there's plenty of things that you could pick apart if you really wanted to. But in the big picture of horror movies and the type of, well, type of crap that we like to watch, you do a hell of a lot worse. I've seen a lot of really amateur movies, and mm. they're actually surprised. I mean, the, the 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 quality of them doesn't look the greatest, but overall, you know, the gore that's in it, you can tell it's budget, right? You can yeah. you can tell that it's it's yeah. not. You know, it doesn't have some, like you said, blockbuster kind of budget, but they all have been really, you know, they might not be, some might not, some might be better than others just as a storytelling device, saying, of though. course. Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, it's, they're impressive that you could, you know, do this alone. And I think with the advent of higher quality cameras and better low light capability Computers. and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, better editing capabilities right. and what you can add in just in your home without having to get a full on studio yeah, like default you. movie stuff that you have on like your ipad or an app right. that costs you 20 bucks you know you can do some pretty right. professional looking stuff the only other thing i really got into I, I went back and started on the show uh stand against evil familiar with that one mm -mm. so it's got the one of the bobs from office space is what the main character and i can't remember his name now so i should probably pull that up but it's essentially so I, I did like the Evil Dead TV show when it came out at Ash vs. the Evil Dead. But this feels a lot more like an Evil Dead TV show than what that show came off because it's just so damn campy. The main character is John McGinley. Mm. So he's yep. a guy from Scrubs and, and whatnot. He's he's one of those guys I was talking about at work that he's one of those guys that you don't really go to a movie to see him generally, but he pops up in a movie a lot and you're like, oh, it's that guy. Right. But his character is almost like if you took Ash and Ron Swanson, 
and made them a retired sheriff and smashed them together. It's kind of what you get. I'm about one season into his three season run and it's the premise feels a little stretched out, but it's an entertaining watch thus far. What have you been watching? You know, I've watched, I've fallen down just kind of the rabbit hole of YouTube that I fall down seemingly like every night. I, I want to start picking up a new show or something and I kind of forget to do that. Friday the 13th fan. There builds. you go. I could That's be, a, you can two birds, one stone. I could be doing that instead of watching random YouTube people. I watch a lot of people play games and stuff or people that I've been following for a long time, but I've also on the actual series front, the most recent and final episode of hard knocks in season for the Arizona Cardinals. Aired. Oh, yeah. They kind of go over the cliff Kingsbury situation. They go over the J JJ Watt is like really, <laughs> he's really the focus of the episode of his retiring. What, what are you laughing? Not about? really much. I mean, I'm laughing because I wish they would have kept the cameras there for one more day because I guess now cliff Kingsbury took a one way plane ticket to Thailand and is like declining interviews for offensive coordinator jobs and other positions in the NFL. He basically just said, all right, you're going to fire me. Peace. I'm out. And just, Left to Thailand. Well, he so. has like years left on his contract that they're going to have to pay him for. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's great. He's living the life. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of it's situated or, or centered around JJ Watt, obviously his retirement and his hall of fame career and everything. I didn't realize he was only with the Cardinals for three years. It felt like much longer. He's only like 33. Five. I think. No, I don't think it was that long. No, I thought it was like, five, Oh yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. I agree. It feels like it was longer. He's had a lot of time where he's been hurt over the last couple of years there, which almost makes it feel like stretched out somehow. Yeah. So I watched that. That was a good kind of final episode. But like I said, it was a lot of JJ Watt. So if you don't like JJ Watt, I would avoid it if you haven't seen it yet. And then last night, I did like the taxidermy badger that he was carrying around that some fan sent him. Oh, yeah. Uh, for that one day. Yeah. That was kind of entertaining. And then last night, uh, we're going to, we're recording this on Monday, the 16th, MLK Day. Last night was the, kick off the premiere of last of us on hbo which i don't know if you're familiar with last of us but it's based on a playstation game by naughty dog studios it's basically like a zombie apocalypse but it's a fungal infection instead of zombies and it follows i've heard it follows the game the first game really close and so far it's you know it takes a little, obviously a few liberties with being a television show rather than a video game but so far it's been uh been pretty good and pedro pascal plays joel the main character, he's a, a great fit for it. I mean, I don't know if I would have thought he almost the character Joel in the game looks a little bit more like who played Thanos, Josh Brolin. Yeah, he he looks a little bit more like a Josh Brolin in the game. But Pedro Pascal, I mean, he's a he's a great actor and he fits in really well. There's a real heart wrenching scene. Probably, I don't know, I'd say 20 minutes into the into the first episode. And it happens really early in the first game that kind of solidifies Joel's character after this event happens in the movie or in the, in the game and in the show. So it's, they, they really handle it really well. And, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the series has to offer. And I hope that one doesn't sputter out. I don't remember what we were talking about recently, but you had mentioned um, when the hype around it gets so high that you almost lose interest in something. So I didn't play the game. I'm familiar with the basic concept of it though. Yeah. On the one hand, I do like Pedro Pascal quite a bit, so I, I'm kind of willing to give it a chance just because he's on it. Similar to like when Wednesday came out, Jenna Ortega was in it, so I gave it a chance because she was on it. On the other hand, I'm still really pissed at The Walking Dead, which was another... I, okay, so I didn't realize it was a fungus. I just thought it was a zombie story, mm -hmm. but I'm still mad at that show, so I'm kind of 
that makes me a little gun shy about it. And the hype that it's getting less than 24 hours after it came out is not exactly making me chomping at the bit to watch it, but I might wait a little bit for it. I might wait till it's all like available at once and just kind of. Yeah, binge it's probably, through it. It's HBO, so it's probably 10 episodes or something. Yeah, just kind of hammer it out in a weekend. I'm not burnt out on zombie TV because I stopped watching Walking Dead. I don't know. It feels like about 20 years ago. But when Glenn- I stopped when they were in the prison, which I think was season two or three. Oh, it was wow. really early. Yeah. My, my wife watched it up to like season six, I think. I and they say, just ended like last year. Yeah. So I want to say I watched it till like it may have been six or eight when Glenn hides under a dumpster that seems like it's tall enough for a person to fit under, which I've never seen a dumpster that's that raised off the ground. And whatever. I gave up when Daryl slam dunked a hand grenade into the barrel of a tank. <laughs> That's about when I walked away from it. Um, I read the comics for quite a while. Like, I read the comics up until... I don't remember the character's name, but he was, like, some king and he had, like, a pet tiger or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. That's right around where I fell off in the comics. But the show, I gave up really, really... Like, I don't think the governor was even on the show yet when I gave up on it. Oh, okay. I think I was... It was maybe a season or two after when the governor had been on it. He became, like, a, a regular character. But that's enough with zombie TV. All right. So, in other news, then, we do have a topic this week, as we usually do. I'm going to, I'll go ahead and lead us into this, and then I'm going to let Sean take over, because he's far more versed on this than what I am. Uh, we're talking about the album that was released in 2002 by the band, uh, group band, is this a band? Duo. Electronic duo. Duo. The electronic duo Boards of Canada. Geo Gotti. Am I pronouncing that that's, right? That's how I would say it. I think that's how most uh, okay. musical scholars would, would pronounce it. So, Geogadi is the second studio album by the Scottish uh, electronic music duo Boards of Canada. It was released on February 13th of 2002 in Japan, and then five days later in Europe by Warp. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, I'm going to get into it, John. I'm going to get into it. All right. Go ahead. Take over. Like you said, Boards of Canada, Scottish electronic music duo, brothers Michael Sanderson and Marcus Owen. Before their kind of albums really came out, produced some really hard to find, if not lost, EPs. Some of the music on the EPs really only exist uh, as snippets at this point on various websites. You can go on the Wayback Machine and find some of these some of these clips. They might even be like real audio clips at this point. I would explain their sound in general as being analog, warm. Think of old warbly film strips or VHS tapes that you may have watched in elementary school if you're John and my age or the old stuff, the film strips. You would have watched it up until probably the advent of DVD and digital video in the classroom. You, you don't really get stuff like this anymore in classes. A lot of their music has a very ominous tone. It can be really immersive because of that. And their older music used a lot of hip-hop style beats playing over warm tape stretch since later releases started introducing things like guitars into the mix. Their debut album was called Music Has the Right to Children. It was released in 1998 in the UK by Warp and Scam Records, Matador here in the US. It got a lot of critical acclaim on its release. It's considered one of electronic music's most influential albums of all time. Like you said, Geogatti was released in 2002, and by some fans, it's considered to be their best album, and I guess you could really say that about any album, right? Fans are going to say, yeah, that's the best one. So that's kind of a bit of a misnomer. Unless they change a member of the group, then there's always going to be a lot of fans that say it's the worst album ever. Right. Or maybe they change the style. Maybe like Sugar Ray, right? They start off as being a hardcore band and play ballads after a while. 
So with this album, they wanted to record a project that had more detail and maybe a little bit more concentrated recipe of little melodies. And they wanted to be a little bit more fuzzy and organic than the previous releases. So I don't like to talk about music generally. So this is <laughs> maybe it's a bad way to start a topic of a podcast when you're going to talk about an album. How do you feel about talking about music in general when you're kind of trying to objectively describe it? I guess you can't really describe it objectively, right? It's subjective. Everybody's taste is different. I like talking about music as long as I know that no one in the conversation is going to get over the top offended or yeah, like offensive. Yeah. Being upfront with this, this is a totally different album than the type of thing that I listen to. You know, we've done two other music episodes on this and those two albums are a thousand percent in my wheelhouse. We did get that album and a misfits album. And those are, those are stuff I, that I've always listened to that type of stuff. This, for me, was like a whole different experience. I'm being up front, I listened to this album three times over the last week or so since we uh, talked about doing this episode, including right before we came on, just to kind of refresh myself on it yeah. a little bit. Every time that I listened to it, I was like, I probably should have taken some edibles or something before I played this. <laughs> like, that might have made this a more... And, like, I didn't, I didn't ever put it on in headphones like that... Most of the time, like when I, whatever the album is, like no matter what the type of music is, my preferred way to put it on is to put it on in the car and go drive around somewhere and kind of get more of an experience like that. I, my speakers aren't like, I don't have some like awesome sound system in my car, but I feel like that's how you get a better sound. You're actually surrounded by it. And just on like a personal level, I'd rather not have like headphones either in my ear or on my ear. Like it, it just sounds better to me that way. Short of seeing it live. If I can see it live, that's my preferred method. Unfortunately, life happens. I just didn't have the chance to do that with this album for better or worse. But I did, uh, like I said, get through it uh, three times over the last week or so. Wow. Um, that's commitment. I commend you. Honestly, if I'm going to talk about an album, I think I, just, it, it, I owe it to the album to listen to it at least twice. I don't think it's more so than a movie. I think there's more to pick out. I think it's a music in general. I think it's more of a form of express. Like, obviously, it's an artistic form of expression. That almost feels redundant saying that. But I feel like there's a lot more that can be interpreted with that than what you get out of a film or TV show or something like I feel like a, a movie is going to be a little... Not all movies, but most movies are going to be a little more straightforward. You know, if you're... You're making an album about, or if you're making a movie about, I don't know, the government, it's going to have a pretty straightforward plot line that revolves around the government. If you're making an album about, you know, I mean, I've I heard something on this, that this is a, supposedly an album about Satan, which I've heard a lot of albums about Satan in my time, and they do not sound like this. But that's not to say it's not about that. Well, that's which not I'm to sure say that it is about, about it, that. though. Well, and I was going to say, I'm sure you have notes on that point as well, because that came up a couple times on what I was looking at while listening to it and trying to better understand what I was hearing. You know, what I can say about it as far as like what I took out of the album, it's got a very cinematic feel to me. Yeah. It almost feels like this. Have you ever listened to a movie score like separately from the movie? Occasionally, not very often. And I don't very often either, but it's got a very like cinematic score feel to it. And a lot of that for me has to do with there's no, well, I shouldn't say there's not any, but there's very few like noticeable breaks between tracks. You have everything kind of flows from one song into the other, or one track into the other. Some of these tracks are short interludes that are about like a minute, maybe two minutes long. And some of these are like, you know, three to six minutes long. And it, blends in a way that is it's interesting it's 
I found it to be kind of relaxing. Like you said, it's warm. It's got that kind of vintage feel to it. It certainly didn't make me want to like, you know, drive fast and like quip off my dad or anything like a lot of the stuff I listen to does. But well, can we can we play some music and we'll talk we'll talk about it a little bit? Yeah. All right. This is going to be a first for us. Went through a big ordeal to get all this set up. So I'm going to just start with the first song and I'll just kind of maybe hit some retorts on you. This is called Ready, Let's Go. This song is 59 seconds, like you said. So it kind of there are a lot of these little short interludes and little short ideas. We talked about you talked about the uh, Satanism aspect of it. And I feel like that's kind of blown out of proportion. I feel like that's a real part of the fandom talks about that. I don't get any satanic vibes from this album. You know, I can agree that some are brooding, but I don't get satanic vibes out of it either. But if you're someone who's so and again, I'm I'm putting myself out there with this. I don't know nothing about like I know of the band Boards of Canada. When I worked in a record store, I, we we had a few of their albums. I know we had this album. I wasn't really familiar with it, but I knew of it. So if you're looking at it from a outsider's point of view of like, oh, what's this Gio Gotti album all about? And the first thing they tell you is like, well, it's a satanic album. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's go. You know? Well, I feel like the, it it has to have words. You know, like an album has to have words for you to be able to determine what the idea is like i can't listen to an album that's mostly instrumentals or you know some Mm. kind of weaving of different instruments and say that's an album about god like that just doesn't make sense to me but yeah i would agree with that i think a lot of things because the song links the amount of of songs on the album like i've read even things where like the the size in megabytes of the album you know, when you when you encode it in whatever format equals 666 megabytes, like how, wh- well, what did you encode that in? You know what I mean? So that's, yeah. there's things like song, track, lengths correspond to verses in the Bible, you know, stuff like that. Like, that's too deep for me. Well, I feel like if you want to go up that road, you could almost pull that out of any album. Like, if you look hard enough and again maybe this is like paraphrasing but say a word like smite for example like if that somehow makes its way into an, an album's lyric or something like a certain chord or whatever like well clearly that's the, the note of lucifer or whatever <laughs> you know? I, I don't know enough about i don't know enough about um theology to to or for that matter, I don't have the time to care that much to, to dig through any album for that. Um, I only bring it up because it was something that came up yeah, several constantly. times. Yeah. Yeah. When I was looking at information on this album. So this song, this kind of leads me into this song is music from music is math. Uh, this is I, I basically what I did looking at this is I took songs that I thought were standouts for me. This was one of those. I like this kind of mechanical beat that this has. It's very technical, almost mechanical. Uh, It's led by the beat, and underneath are these, again, kind of warm, fuzzy, warbly synths. You have the heavily vocoded spoken word that at times you can't really, you, you can't, you feel like you can almost make something out, but you can't make out enough to be like, this is what they're saying. This is what the song is about. There are several tracks where there's audible voices on it, 
some of them sound like they're from creepy kids or something. That's the Boards of Canada staple is the creepy kids. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say it almost comes off as like haunting at times with it. And I don't, I, I thought that before I realized that this is supposedly an evil album or whatever. <laughs> it's certainly not something that coming from a, a not knowing about electronic music, it feels like more of a, a feature or an effect that you would find. Maybe this is maybe they're the first band to do this or first group to do this. I don't know, but it feels like something that's more reoccurring in electronic music in general, sampling sounds or sampling voices and kind of just doing something to get like a cool beat to it. One thing about Boards of Canada and the influence that they've had on electronic music is that they are very secretive, not maybe secretive, but very clandestine. They, the two brothers don't give a lot of interviews, especially they'll have more written interviews, but they don't give a lot of audio interviews. They did one of the few that you can find is they did a appeal session at BBC and they talked to John Peel about their, their album, or they performed some songs or whatnot. And they, they took this really long break between some of their albums and they did this whole campaign where they just released these numbers and the numbers would correspond it's eventually they would just send an album to a record store like a random record store and it would just be marked sell immediately and it would be one a cd like a 101 or something yeah like one track and it would just play these numbers and it all the fans had to come together and try to figure out these sequence of numbers to figure out what it meant so they like to do these little kind of almost arg altered reality games where they can kind of play with the fans the big fandom and th- i feel like this album is has a lot of that in it and one thing that they people have said fans of theirs have said there's a, a movie and i think it's called i'll link it in the show notes i think it's called turquoise hexagon sun i think that's what it's called but it's like a youtube video where this guy put this whole thing together and he goes through board of canada's entire their entire like career from when they started like from their birth basically and how this where they got their name from how they got the sounds you know how, how they started getting into it and they he says the person says in this you know documentary basically that there are so many albums that get put out that are fakes like people make these albums in the style of Boards of Canada and then they go on fan sites or whatever forums and they say, hey, we found the new, maybe we found this lost Boards of Canada thing or this new album. And I think one of the brothers, I'm not sure if it was Michael or Marcus, said basically in an interview that we want to change our sound. We want to evolve because we don't want someone to put out an album with just creepy kid vocals. And that's what we're known for. So I wanted to move on to the next track that I had and that would be gyroscope and I'll fade that in here we can get a listen to it that's interesting about the fake album thing like I and again coming from a background of listening to stuff with you know and I'm sure technology will make this all relevant at some point in the not too distant future but with signature guitar styles and vocals and all that type of stuff like you never would have really thought about a fake, like, I don't know, a fake Beatles album or something. A huge example. But, you know, we're at the point now where it's like, I mean, I just read an article last week where this new, whatever this new AI was, said if it had three seconds of your voice, yeah, it could copy, like, the entire 
you know, whatever language you want out of it. So, I guess that's probably not something that's all too far away in the not distant future. Not to go too far down the rabbit hole on AI, but that's one thing with the stable diffusion that I talked about, I don't know, a month or two ago that I was messing around with. That can copy art styles. And there are people that are upset, artists are upset because you can say, you know, make this picture in the style of so-and-so artist and the AI has been trained on these artists. But again, I, that's well, that's, a, that's a topic for another time. I wanted to talk about this song, which again is called Gyroscope. The standout, the reason this is a standout to me is with that panning of the drums that's kind of like going around, especially if you're wearing headphones, yeah. if you're driving in the car. It has a very kind of circular feel it's got really these, this creepy 80s like number station vibe to it. Feels really 80s Cold War because of that. You can hear the spoken part of this song are those numbers being read in a sequence that you're like, what does that mean? I thought this song felt kind of almost like tribal, but not at the same time because it's got a very electronic sound to it at the same time. But that drum... And I, I was kind of curious if it's an actual drum that they're hitting or if it's like, you know, produced sound yeah, like or not. or something. I'm sure it's probably, I mean, it could be either. Honestly, who knows? But this was one that stuck out to me, too, just because that that drum sound or drum beat is very, um, it kind of lodges right in there, you know. So we'll fade out of this one. I want to start into my next standout that I found. And when I'm done, if you have ones that you have notes on that you want to talk about, we can, I can do the same thing, but this one is, Oh, I had the two. Okay. We'll get to those. This is the sixth track on the album. It's called sunshine recorder. And that's here. This one might be more. Oh, beautiful place. (laughs) Cause that's, that's the repeating lyric that keeps coming up in this song that I'm sure we'll get into, but this one, for me, again, music is all, it's the way it makes you feel, right? It's going to be different from person to person. But this one, with that attacking and releasing of the notes, you know, kind of fades in and fades out all the different notes. It gives a, a back and forth, like a give and take, an ebb and a flow. The music I'm into, electronic music especially, is really music to kind of chill out to or something that's really can be ambient or like a more of a vibe. You know, I, I'm not big into, I don't even, this is considered EDM, which is like electronic dance music. That's just like a, a, a generic There's nothing term. about this that makes me want to dance. No, well, but I mean, you can't, it's not jungle. It's not house music. Maybe. It's not trance or whatever. Yeah, or maybe like down that, tempo. Like, I mean, this does have, this album as a whole, like not just this song, but the majority of this album has like a, it would feel right at home in like a, a coffee shop or like a, a, you know, a cigar bar or something like that, where it's, it's on and you can, you can audibly hear it, but it's not doing anything that's gonna, for the most part, that's gonna affect the conversation or the mood or the vibe it you know it is very much so to me it it came off like mood mood music almost yeah i can see that i feel like the you made the comment before about driving you know listening to this while driving 
I think this is one of my favorite uh, albums to drive to. I think it just has a really great kind of vibe for driving in the dark, in this kind of weather, in the kind of winter, kind of dreary months. I picked up this album in 2002, so it's a big nostalgia album for me, too. I remember buying it, drove out to, I don't know if you ever went to Neptune Records in Royal Oak. It was more of like an indie rock kind of record store, but I think it was in the first location on Main Street. I just remember putting this this CD, you know, CD in my car on a rainy day, February 13th or whatever. It was just, it was a little underwhelming at first because I was so used to their first album. And then coming into this one, it was like, whoa, this is a major difference. Like not so much of the hip hop kind of beat more of this, like you said, tribal, some of it mechanical, just different playing with the drums in different ways. And the thing with boards of Canada's music, I feel more than other types of electronic music, it doesn't, the drum doesn't change much. Like you get that same pattern. No. And that's, that actually led to what I was saying where a lot of this album, the tracks kind of bleed from one to the other. Like there's, that's what, like there's a lot of albums in any genre where there's not like a, a break between tracks where one song will just kind of flow into the other. But that, that drum beat that's somewhere throughout the whole album from start to finish is what makes it feel like, and again, as a, as a novice at best, I found myself going and looking like, where the fuck am I in this album? <laughs> like what, what track am I on? Like where, not, so, not so much like the, the album equivalent of a watch check, but like, you kind of get absorbed into it like you lose track of like what's going on how long you've been listening to this like it just kind of it, it's more of an experience than it is a like i don't i don't maybe you do because you're you're more of a fan of this but i don't know that you could just pick like one track to put on like oh i really need to hear you know toxic because i'm 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 in a mood or something <laughs> you know are you talking about like, Britney spears toxic yeah okay I need that sass. Whatever. Like, there's not... This doesn't feel like something you would put on to, like, play one track. Like, it feels like you once you put this album on, you're in it for the duration. Like, I don't know that you could put just one song on and be like, all right, now I'm going to play the sign or something. Back in Black. That's the, yeah, whatever. I, I have a counterpoint to that, and that's the next song I'm going to play. But this one I wanted to talk about. This is Julian Candy. Uh, this music, this song has a lot of whistles. That's what the most of the instrument you're hearing, the higher kind of pitched, it, are these different whistles that play back and forth, obviously pitched up and down and shredded out and stretched and warbled and, you know, um, buzzed and wobbled and all that stuff. This one has a lot of that back and forth. Like I said, that rhythmic beat playing on top of it, the drum that sound, the pattern doesn't change much. But it's the it's the background stuff that kind of evolves and changes, but it all it, it just evolves so organically. It's it's really just kind of it blows my mind when you listen to something like this. And I get off on stuff like this. Mm. Maybe get off is is the wrong term to use, but I enjoy it. You get you a rag. So this one, this, I want to play this sample for you real quick. And you tell me if you heard this in a song. Uh, let's see if I can get it just with the in a song other than the song you're going to play. You mean it's going to be in the next one. I'm confused. 
what else is new? John's confused. Oh, you don't hear it. It's not coming through. Well, that's a that's that's a shame. But I'm going to play the next song. And this, <laughs> hey, you know, we're full of surprises on this podcast. <laughs> this next song is my favorite Boards of Canada song. It appears on this album. This is the one song on this album because some of their albums are a little bit different. You know, there are some of those standout songs and they don't always melt together. Some of them kind of music their tracks on their own. This song, I feel like it's one of those songs. This is a song, Boards of Canada song. I can just put this song on and I get my fix. I don't have to listen to the whole album to get the full experience. And I feel like a lot of the album starts to, I don't know. So I could, sometimes I can listen to this next song I'm about to play. And this is the last, like, I don't have to listen to the rest of the album. I feel like okay. I don't have any standouts actually after this song. And it's almost right in the middle. So I'm going to start this one up and I'm going to start it and let it go without fading it up. So let's start it kind of up and here we go. Oh yeah, I remember hearing this one. This to me has just that vibe. It's got just a harshness to it. I don't know if it's the beat or the bass when it comes in, like the really heavy bass and the kick that come in. It just has this like, I don't know, for as badassness as Boards of Canada can get. I feel like this is like the embodiment of that. And I would call this the most quote unquote satanic, if we're gonna talk about satanic on this on the album. Uh with the mentioning of of the Branch Davidians, uh the sample that plays Wait, in here. What? Which I, there's a there's a mention of the Branch Davidians. That, that's this? what I was trying to play the sample for. So we'll wait till okay. it gets there. But this lyric, it took me forever to decode what they were actually saying. And they actually sample the wife of David Koresh's rival, the former wife of his rival, I guess, in the Branch Davidians. And here, I think this is where the lyric comes in. And I'll tell you what it's saying after. We'll let it play the next time around, and then I'll tell you what it says. See, I just thought it was weird, like, I didn't necessarily go to, like, Satanism, but I just thought it was weird, like, gibberish, for lack of better wording. Yeah, so let me pause it. And the lyric, or the thing that's sampled is, and it's it's kind of hard to decode, because if you're just listening to it straight up, you won't hear the David Koresh part. But what the lyric says is, although not a follower of and it says david koresh but david is backwards and koresh is backwards so you can't make it out it says um although not a follower of david koresh she's a devoted branch davidian so i'll play it again oh we gotta wait for it to come around <laughs> most imperfect place to pause yeah. all right let's see you gotta go through the little the the eight bars or whatever. Okay, check it out. Although not a follower of David Koresh, she's a devoted branch Davidian. Alright, I'll let you hear it again. All right. I mean, so 
I'm not doubting you. I'm sure, like, because this is your thing. I'm sure you took the time to, you know, yeah, know what it's about. I did the research. But is this kind of like one of those things where you play it backwards? This and almost feels like one of the. No. <laughs> is this almost one of those things like, well, you put the idea in my head, so now I'm kind of thinking that way, so maybe it does sound like that. I mean. I have heard this album so many times, and I didn't know what it said. And if you actually, I don't know if you listen to music on Spotify, right? Yeah. I listen to music on Apple Music, and I don't know if Spotify shows the lyrics. It does on most, not everything, but some things. But on Apple Music, it has lyrics for the song. And I had listened to it on CD forever, right? For the past 20 years. And I never once thought, oh, they were there are lyrics for the song, but there are. And if you look at the lyrics on Apple Music, it's that's those are the exact lyrics, and it has David Koresh. Huh. I think there's actually a okay. part where David Koresh is not backwards in this song, but the other part there's 196. This song is 1969, if I didn't mention it. And they say yeah, 1969 okay. in the sunshine, but there's another sample that's clearly heard, and that is amo bishop roden who is the former wife of david koresh's rival in the branch davidians mm. i just thought that was wild i have heard this song hundreds of times and i feel like this is like the showstopper for this album like there's there's still i don't know 13 14 more tracks to go on this but these were the ones i wanted to highlight Now you got me thinking about David Koresh. Yeah. Thanks. So they were, I guess when they recorded this album, they were really, they were really influenced by the events in Waco. So they made, that's where, you know, they start talking about some of the stuff. That's actually the end of the song. But, uh, and I faded out right at the right point. Give myself some audio engineering kudos, but you, you had You're a fucking pro. Thank you very much. I, I try very hard. So you said that you had a couple songs that you wanted to kind of highlight that you took notes on or that you that stood out to you. Yeah, I only had like two songs that I really said stood out to me or really thought stood out to me. And uh, they're kind of like right next to each other, essentially, in the uh, track listing. The song that I kind of liked the most out of this was You Could Feel the Sky, which was track 21. It's got a similar sound to the bongo or drum beat that you were playing earlier but it sounds more sticky um somehow it sounds almost like a velcro peeling type sound yeah there you go for whatever reason when this came on it might be because it came right after a song that i did not like (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was kind of cool and it kind of stuck out a little bit and it's the one that each time that i went through this album all, all three of them um this song kind of stuck out as one that sounded cool. I don't have any like deep insight on it yeah. or anything like that. Just kind of, it stuck out to me because it had a little bit of a different sound coming out of the speakers. And I guess it was a nice reprise after what had preceded it. I don't know if you have any insight on this one or not. Yeah, no, I do. I do like this track a lot. It's like you said, it's got, this is like a really low low-key song it has that kind of i don't know synth or organ or something in the background that just walks through the entire entire track that just evolves with that like you said like velcro or sticky or like a rubber band like a balloon or something stretching back and forth you know rubbing your hands over some rubber hose or something 
so one of the things I've always kind of gravitated to in music is music that kind of makes you feel a little dirty. Like, I like the Misfits, and I like Motorhead, and those guys all look like they haven't showered since, like, the day they got shed out of the womb. They look like they all have like hepatitis. That. For sure. Yeah. If you're lucky. <laughs> That's the worst of their problems. Least of their problems. All right. And, and in comparison to the rest of this album, I, I guess this kind of has like a little bit of a grimy feel to it, which maybe that's what appealed to me mm-hmm. with it. Again, in contrast to that, the one that this song, I, I did not, this is the only song that I really would say that I actively disliked on the album. And I'm not alone on this because I have two dogs in my house and both of them started crying and looking at me like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you when I was nope. playing this? And and they're used to hearing a lot of different stuff, but these they were both pretty upset with this. It's track number 19, which is Dawn Chorus. And there's a, was it's like a, I guess it's another creepy kid. But there's a very like repetitive obnoxious vocal harmony in this that I just I could do without ever hearing it again. Oh, I mean, I'm we're sorry. Play it now, but no, I mean, I'm not sorry. You shouldn't be sorry. And maybe I'm wrong on this one. But, uh, I mean, again, it's all opinion. I'm not saying anything to be like being an asshole or anything. But this one for me was the one track that I could care less for. That's the other thing, too. Like, the the chord sound in it, and I'm not sure... Again, I'm sure it's just a synth or a keyboard or something like that, but it's a very bleeding sound, mm-hmm. but not in a way that I enjoy. It just feels very, like... No. <laughs> we'll, we'll spare you. Oh, there it is right uh, there. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and again... You love it. Well... Like I said, I'm not going to shit on it. It just, or any more than I already have, I guess. But it, for me, it was, this was the hardest track for me to get through. And this is the one that, if I listened to this album three times, I probably started this track six times and had to like skip over and go back to it to actually get through the whole thing. Okay, let's see if I can play you that Branch Davidian sample. (laughs) Back to that. It's been a while since we've done an album. Do we do hot dogs on albums or do we just kind of, I don't even remember. I think we do hot. I do. I think we do hot dogs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's play this sample real quick and we'll see. This is uh, the, although not a follower of David Koresh, she's a devoted branch Davidian. Here you go. Yeah, you can definitely hear it there, especially if you know what you're looking for. And then I, there's other stuff, but I wanted to thank, before we get into into hot dogs, a lot of the research that I did on this, obviously, besides listening to it my own, was there's a lot pulled from Wikipedia for both about Geogati, Music Has the Right to Children, um, Michael Sand- Sanderson and Marcus Owen. And the other site that I found invaluable was bocpages.org. That is the page to look at if you want like hardcore deep analysis on any kind of Boards of Canada music song. They have ind- individual samples and lyrics and trivia and notes about all the, all the music on all of their albums. Hopefully 
this uh this podcast that we put together was something that maybe will lead you into listening to more boards of canada and enjoying yourself so with without further ado john let's hear your your hot dog rating on this one all right so i'm actually going to do this as two separate ratings because i think it's the most fair way i can do it objectively looking at this as an album just on its own merit taking my personal opinion out of it I'd say this is probably like a solid seven hot dogs out of 10 Canadians. You know, I I don't have enough experience to really compare it with electronic music in general to compare it to anything else in the genre, or at least not to effectively compare it. But I could say being someone who like being new to it, I wasn't mad that I was listening to it at any point. I wasn't like um, frustrated with it. I found it to be a, a different experience altogether which is a good thing it's and you know you got to try different shit you never know what you're going to get into if you don't try it right on that side i like and i I do dig that it's got this again cinematic almost score type feel to it um when i found out it might be satanic that gave some extra points to it for better (laughs) or worse it's just where the conflict of, of interest would come for me is on a personal side with it like my own opinion if I were giving it like a hot dog skill, just on like take objective out of it, just my own personal thoughts on it, I'd probably put it just like about a, a five hot dogs out of, you know, 10 Scots. And that's more so just because it's good and it's a solid album. It's just not my thing. And and realistically, although I, I don't have anything really negative to say about it, I can't honestly say I'm going to find myself going back to this on a regular basis. Did you did you listen to this around your wife? No. Okay. Uh, no, I, I did was not. curious so, to, to see if she I didn't tell opinion. her I was listening to it, and she said, "What the fuck's the boards of Canada?" All right. Well, good. Just what we like to hear. She also looked at me very confused, like you're listening to a what? <laughs> an electronic album? Uh, you're listening. You're listening to an electronic album. Are you feeling like, okay? Did you feel your forehead? No, you feel okay. She asked if I needed to go to the hospital. Oh. Well, you probably maybe you did. I don't know. But again, I, I want to reiterate. I don't mean that to sound like I'm talking shit about the style of music or anything like that. I'm just saying from a personal standpoint, it's not my thing. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's bad or good or anything like that. It's just, it's not for me. Yeah. And that's, you know, some people, some people like hot dogs, some people like hamburgers, some people like both, and some people don't like either. And some people are wrong and they're typically named John. <laughs> well, I'm glad you can admit to it. So for the, for me, this album, I would give this a solid eight and a half to nine hot dogs out of 11 Branch Davidians. Boards of Canada is a group that I, at one point, really, really enjoyed uh, when I have gone about making or attempting to make music. They've always been a a major influence on stuff. Not that I want to make stuff that sounds like what they do, but I always had that idea of, how did they do that? How did they get that sound? Where is that sample from? What am I hearing you know, it takes me back. It gives me this nostalgic kind of feeling, like I said, to elementary film strips and the warbly, like distorted film strips that you would watch in class, turn the lights down, have the teacher break the reel on the, on the cam, you know, on the, on the, on the film player, whatever projector. There we go. Uh, it just has that feel to me. And it reminds me a lot of the film board of Canada where they got the name of their group. So, you know, I go back and I'll actually watch some of their stuff. National Film Board of Canada, I'll watch some of their videos on on YouTube because you can still watch a lot of these really quirky 
animations or movies that they that they made were commissioned by them. But yeah, I mean, I listened to Boards of Canada a lot at a point of time uh, in my life when, you know, it was really influential on me growing up. You know, I was probably in my 20s or whatever and living a little bit more of a wild life than I do in my 40s now. But as time goes on, you kind of you move on, right? You move on to different things. But this album and especially the songs that I highlighted and especially, especially PPS 1969 being my favorite Boards of Canada song. That is one when I want to get my fix of Boards of Canada. I just go back to that. And on some of their later releases, especially their last album, Tomorrow's Harvest, I didn't really listen to it much because I was kind of moved on from Boards of Canada and I was kind of out of that pocket. You know, sometimes you get in a pocket of music and you find things that are similar. Tomorrow's Harvest, that time frame when that album came out was kind of, I was out of the pocket. But Boards of Canada has had a major influence on electronic music. You can think of uh, bands or groups like Tycho. You can think of bands or groups like Bonobo. You can think Amon Tobin and even contemporaries took a lot of inspiration and maybe not direct sounds and these you know artists don't directly lift off boards of canada but you can tell that the way that boards of canada the, just the fabric the texture of the music that they put together had influence on a lot of different electronic music i feel like a lot of contemporary artists now still you can feel some of the vibes that boards of canada put out so not a perfect album like i said i kind of fall off 1969 is like the peak for me. And then the rest of it's kind of like going down the mountain. That's kind of where I stop. So that's the album. I have obviously listened to the, the songs after that, but, but yeah, that's uh this is one of my favorite albums and to give it an 8.5, I think it's just a uh, 8.5 to nine. I think that's just kind of like, you know, you move on a little bit from it, but I was, I'm, I'm glad. And I'm, I'm thankful that you had an open mind to listen to this because we talked about the album, like, let's do an album. We'll talk about an album next. And I always get so anxious or so, I don't know, not nervous, but like, I don't want to talk about music because it, it can be so subjective. You know, it's a personal thing. The, the head, headspace you're in when you listen to it or, you know, how you're feeling at the time can really influence your opinion on something. And this album did take a long time to grow on me. So I appreciate that you had an open mind to, to listen to it. And you listened to it three times. Like I said, I'm genuinely pretty impressed that you... <laughs> You put the work in to listen to it three times. Music's such a different thing, too. Like, people identify themselves with music so much. I'm I'm guilty of that, too. Like, I, for better or worse, you know, hate to admit, but, like, my political views, my personality, and my belief system, a lot of that is based off the music and the group of people and the culture that I grew up in. And I'm sure that's the same for you. And I, I can't speak to that from another person's angle, but doesn't make it right or wrong. I'm not going to, the least I can do is at least give it a chance, right? Sure. So yep. on a side note, you rambled off like six or seven other artists and I have no idea who <laughs> any of them were. <laughs> um, that was the, that was the so point, I guess, John. Well, that's good. Well, I don't know what we're going to talk about next. Did you like this episode, though? I hope you listened to it all, and we would really like some feedback on this one, especially uh, whenever we go outside the box and kind of out. We can talk about horror movies and shitty action movies all day, but going outside of our comfort zone is kind of fun to do, and I don't know. I enjoy doing something different, so give us some feedback. Tell us what you want to talk want us to talk about next. Maybe you want us to talk about... A TV show. Maybe it's a Tchaikovsky record. I don't know. That, Let us know. Is that a, is he a, he's a classical artist or a composer, right? He's a classical. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That would be off the rails, but hey, whatever. We've already done one fan request episode. We got another one coming up soon. So 
if you want us to talk about something, we're willing to either give it an open mind or in the case of last week's episode, suffer through it, whatever we got to do, let us know. Follow us on all the stuff. We're at Dewey Pod Monster, wherever you can find us. Um, leave us feedback. Like I said, subscribe, share it. That would be awesome. And then listen to Sean because he's got way cooler shit to talk about than what I do. That's that's a big that's big shoes to fill, John. You can find I'm involved with half your shit. So that's true. Go ahead. You can find me <laughs> at drafttherapy.com. You can follow my YouTube channel at youtube.drafttherapy.com. I talk about beer. Right now, it's January, currently, and I'm in the middle of my cellar dive, digging through all my beer in my cellar, not all of it, some of the beer in my cellar, to see if it's still good, or maybe it's just meh. So you can follow me, youtube.drafttherapy.com, or on any of the social networks that you participate or follow in at Draft Therapy. I think that's all we got this week. Uh, Again, let's know what we want us to talk about next, and we will be back next Tuesday morning with some new shit or good stuff we'll see have a good week